Hey, caffeinators. Welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Good morning, caffeinators. It's, uh, let's see, January 14th. Thank you. Halfway through January. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for coming back by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Welcome. We are the podcast that uh, you better not take with you on vacation. Leave us at home, <laughs> provided you actually get to take PTO. <laughs> right, um, right. We'd love to thank all of our caffeinators for their continued support by repping our, our merchandise and, and Patreon-izing us. Um, and continuing to download our episodes and, and subscribing to all of our channels. If this is your first time at the Vet Tech Cafe, welcome. Um, I think we have a great episode today that will be a, a great first episode for you to hear. But uh, but thank you. We're glad you're here today. Um, you can definitely check us out and, and get more information at VetTechCafe.com. Dave, how's it going out there? What's on your mind? Uh, it's going great out here. Uh, you know, we were just talking before we started recording. It's It's getting cold here for North Carolina like in the 30s, and uh, apparently there's going to be a big snowstorm on Sunday, and, and the whole state is freaking out. Uh, <laughs> the New England in me is thinking, this is just going to be nothing, and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... And, Whatever. And, and you, like, pe- people are planning for not going into work that day. And right, like, and probably for a couple of days, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know me, the, the weather nerd in me, I've been watching that develop now for about a week while it was still... Well, you're, you're the one that told me about it. I, I, didn't, I hadn't heard about it, and you're like, you're going to get snow on, on, on Sunday, and I was like... Oh, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been watching that storm develop for five or six days now, and it's actually coming to fruition, which doesn't always happen. So even though I'm here in 80 degrees Southern California and very sad about that. I'll send you pictures yes, of Yes, please do, please do. Even <laughs> if it's just, you know, a little bit in the grass and it shuts the city down, I'd still like I'd, I'd still like to see that. So what it else? Doesn't, it doesn't take much. Yeah. Um, one other thing we wanted to kind of bring to uh, to our caffeinators' attention, we posted it on Facebook, maybe you saw it, but um, kind of want to give a, a shout out to our New Mexico RVT Association colleagues. Um, they have a, a petition. Um, you can go to their website. It's in the resources tab. I think that's where you found it, Dave. Yeah, resources tab. Um, and then also on their Facebook page, uh, New Mexico Registered Veterinary Technicians Association, there's a link. And basically what they're trying to do is get title protection for RVTs written into the Practice Act and really, really cool stuff for RVTs in the state of New Mexico. So our caffeinators that are there in New Mexico, if you haven't already, uh, I would encourage you to a, get involved in the state association, but definitely help them out with this and, and help them bring this to um, to the legislature, because I think that's a big deal. Yeah, and, and this is one like one small facet of the VNI that we, we talk about a lot. Right. I've said that, you know, it's great to get these things on a national level, but you kind of have to start at the state level, and I think you that's really what we're do. doing here. So hopefully that's, hopefully that's going to move forward and get some protection for these guys. Absolutely. And then, you know, you and I, we, we were thinking about talking about this as, as an intro today, but I think we're going to actually do a tap room on it this weekend. But we'll mention briefly the 
the news coming out about, um, you know, the AVMA and still basically not letting, you know, support staff or what have you join as members, but trying to work more collaboratively with NAVTA and the VHMA. And, and there's a lot of a lot of things going on about some of the stuff that was said. We'll talk more about that in a taproom episode. I think we'll leave it for that because that could be a long discussion. Hopefully you've but, already heard, heard the taproom because yeah, yeah, this it, isn't going to. Exactly. <laughs> so so we'll talk more about that in the future. I'm sure there will be further discussions, too. But uh, yeah, but if you and it's, and it's on our Facebook page, so yeah, if yeah. you if you want to read it and comment on it, exactly, I'd be happy to bring that stuff up. Exactly, absolutely. So we've got a really great episode uh, today. I'm pretty excited about. We have Garnetta Santiago coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Uh, she is currently the manager of academic and professional affairs for Zoetis, uh, where she helps drive strategic engagement with colleges of veterinary medicine and veterinary technology programs throughout the U.S. and the Caribbean, um, as well as educational well-being and professional development outreach to the veterinary profession through digital and social platforms. She's a 2003 graduate of the Veterinary Technician Program at State University of New York at Delhi and is a New York State licensed veterinary technician with a background in small mixed animal practice, shelter medicine, academia, and industry. She currently holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from Syracuse University and a Master of Arts degree uh, in international relations from Rutgers University. She earned the professional certificate in online education instructional design from University of Wisconsin-Madison and is the immediate past president of the New York State Association of Veterinary Technicians and currently lives in New York State's Hudson Valley region with her husband, two raucous orange tabby litter mates, and lots of wildlife. <laughs> Garnett, I bet you're you're pre- uh, preparing for the forthcoming storm as, as Dave is as well, but um, what can we get you for a cup of coffee? Oh my gosh. Well, whatever it is, it has to have a shot of espresso added because, oh. you know, life is short. Let's get this done. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a decaffeinated person in any way, shape, or form. I can have an espresso at 1130 and sleep like a baby. Mm. So whatever I have, nice. it has to have a shot of espresso. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I am the same way. I can have a cup yeah. of coffee and go right to bed. I, I, yeah. I love it. So um, if you don't mind, take us through your career path a little bit. That's kind of where we always start. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what got you into veterinary medicine, some stops along the way to where you are now. And, and I would be remiss as well if I didn't mention um, Harold Davis is the oh, one yeah. who uh, who mentioned mm-hmm. you and put us in contact with you. So I definitely want to uh, say thank you to Harold for, for planting that seed with us to get in contact with you. But if you don't mind, kind of take us through some of that stuff and we'll jump off from there. Sure. And Harold is one of my favorite people uh, on earth. So <laughs> there's a mutual associ- admiration association there. So I am what was, was called a non-traditional student, right? So I had always wanted to be a veterinarian. When I was a kid, my parents, you know, all my friends were getting, you know, dolls and the traditional sort of kid toys for Christmas. And every year I got a chemistry set. And my dad was a researcher for General Electric and on one of the, it literally covered the entirety of one of my bedroom walls was the periodic table of the elements, right? <laughs> so you had like Sean Cassidy and Michael Jackson posters on one wall and then, you know, like the periodic <laughs> table on the other. So they fed everything that would lead me towards a career in my passion, veterinary medicine. I ended up going to college. I love politics. Uh, not 
not politics as we see on the news, but I love political systems and countries and diplomacy and that sort of thing. And so I decided to study political science, thinking one day I'll, I'll get around to going to veterinary medicine. Well, when you graduate with a bachelor in political science, you have two routes. You can either go to grad school or you can go to law school. Veterinary school was not in the calculus for me, so I went to grad school. Ended up working in ratings industry and financial publishing in New York City, and I hated it. I hated every mm. single, the only time I was happy was payday. That, that literally, it was absolutely <laughs> devoid of any purpose. It just was dog eat dog. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to take that leap. This is comfortable, predictable, but it's boring as all get up. And I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. So I started shadowing at a practice where I took my cats and I found out that I didn't want to be a veterinarian after all. I wanted to be a veterinary technician. And I had never really known about veterinary technicians prior to that shadow. So I gave it all up. Packed up, went upstate New York, and we lived in New York City at the time in the Bronx, and I completed my degree at SUNY Delhi. Graduated, found out uh, shortly after graduation that I had stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it kind of sucked because I was just getting into it. And and all of a sudden, chemo and patient care are not, you know, they're not compatible. So uh, that was sort of put on hold for a little bit. In the meantime, while I was sort of doing aligned work, not necessarily direct patient care because of my immune system, um, I got an offer from Hills Pet Nutrition to work with them as a consultant. And this, the individual who brought me on, she was a veterinary affairs manager who oversaw all things veterinary technicians. And um, mm. so I worked with them as a consultant for a while. Then I got back into medicine and I went into academia. And then uh, about eight years, seven years later, seven or eight years later, they made me an offer for her position. She was retiring. So I joined Hills and uh, was with them for nine years, overseeing all of our technician engagement, technician student and education engagement. And then I learned of an opportunity with Zoetis and joined Zoetis to to drive their uh, veterinary technology strategy, as well as help to oversee our academic and professional affairs with the colleges of veterinary medicine. So I was one of those non-traditional students. And I say non-traditional with air quotes because that was code for old. Right. When I was in tech school, <laughs> when I was in tech school, I was easily old enough to be someone's mother. You know, it was it was insane. You know, I'm like 35 <laughs> years old. And, you know, there are these 18 year olds who this is like 13th grade for them. And it's it was um, it was surreal. But I think it gave me an advantage because it gave me a, a viewpoint of life that was a little bit larger than some of my classmates. And so. As I work through my program, I realized that, you know, you don't stop a career on Wall Street and start in veterinary medicine without bringing some of that with you. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to merge the two, how to bring elements of that previous career into this. And I think that has helped a lot along the way. Awesome. Um, You know, one quick question I have, because my last clinical job was in academia. I I worked for four years at Tufts University. So I'm curious with, with your position now, what does that actually look like going into the vet schools or working with the veterinary students or, or technician students? What What is it that your interaction is like? What do you bring to them? So a big part of, of my role is to ensure delivery of resources to help them with professional development. Okay. Um, I do have opportunities, lots of opportunities actually to engage with them um, on sort of one-offs. So for example, um, a student, a second year student at Mississippi State a couple years ago asked me to do um, a webinar for her and her classmates on how to integrate on a veterinary healthcare team. 
you know, these are second year veterinary students and they're nervous about going into that practice. And one of the, and one of the questions that just resonates, I remember so clearly was a student who, who said, what happens when I graduate and I'm the new associate veterinarian and the head technician knows more than me? And I said, you buy her cookies and make her your best friend. That's what you do. (laughs) (laughs) The titles have absolutely nothing to do with it because you're technicians. We know where the bodies are buried, you know. Right. um, (laughs) Literally and figuratively in some cases. But, you know, we, um, you know, how to leverage that relationship. So helping them, you know, integrate into practice once they graduate, um, but also making sure that we're providing resources to help them round out their life as a veterinary professional. You're not just a veterinary professional. You're a person who happens to work in veterinary medicine. Yeah. So sort of feeding and supporting the holistic student and, you know, making sure those resources are available to them. That's a, that's a great, I, that's a great perspective because I used to tell veterinary students all the time, this, this is not how a, a typical veterinary hospital functions. Like no. you, you will not be answering the phone in practice. And if they ask you to do that, find somewhere else to work. Like, yeah. like th- this, <laughs> exactly. this is so, th- you know, utilize how to utilize that team. That's a very, very important, very important idea. I like that. You know, it's, it's so interesting because I think a lot of the colleges of veterinary medicine have the opportunity to show their students how to leverage that team, how to work within that team. And the technicians in those teaching hospitals do an amazing job. But then what happens, and I saw this actually in, in a veterinarian who I used to, to use, is that they get into practice and that's not the culture of the practice. So they unlearn the healthy integration of the, the technician, the veterinary dynamic, the veterinarian dynamic. And it, it sort of goes with the culture of the hospital. You know, it's kind of like unlearning good behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Um, and just, you know, a question we always like to ask, and you've, you've been in many different facets of the field from what it sounds like now as a, as a, how do we term it? A non-traditional <laughs> student. <laughs> Just thinking about the veterinary technician profession right now, where are we at as a, as a field? I, I, we're we're going to talk a lot about DEI coming up, but the profession as a whole, where does it stand and, and what can we do to, to make it better? I think our profession's at an inflection point, quite frankly, there are, <laughs> in so many ways, chickens coming home to roost. There are in so many ways, new approaches to long existing problems, new vantage points. You know, we have, we have players involved in, and I would say our problems, our community, our vet tech community that traditionally have not been involved in it. So there are new opportunities to, to approach longstanding problems. We still have some common struggles, some struggles that are long lasting. I mean, you know, we're a young-ish profession. And I recognize that there are a lot of problems that exist today that existed even more, that, that existed even, you know, long before now. Um, but I think the way that we're approaching them and the conversations that we're having provide an opportunity for us to, you know, at least reach resolution. I don't think we're going to resolve everything. Um, and, and I, you know, being completely transparent, it's frustrating. It, there are times when I'm like, you know what, I can go work at Sir Latab and be happy surrounded by baking ware, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. but this is where my passion is. And that's what keeps, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also we, we don't want to, you know, it's very easy for some of us. I mean, many technicians have left the field. Yeah. But that's just such a it's an easy way out to just abandon a field that you've put so much time and money and effort into and passion into. The times that I've thought of leaving, I think about everything that I would leave behind mm-hmm. and the fellow technicians that I have and the practices and the pet pets and the pet owners. I feel like 
you know, so many of us have put so much into it that it's very difficult to just say, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. You know, and you also think, I mean, I'm in New York State and we had the very first vet tech program accredited by the AVMA. Mm. And so I know that those who went before me to get to the place where I am a licensed veterinary technician, to get to the place where we are legislatively protected as a profession, to walk away is, is almost a slap in the face of that. And so, you know, I think it, this is a profession where, you know, we build on each other's backs. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole cadre of technician students and people who want to be technicians in the pipeline for whom if we don't do the hard work now, what will be left for them? Yeah, that's yeah. very true. Very true. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, a big reason we wanted to chat with you today and a lot of time, a lot of where we're going to focus this episode is on diversity, equity, inclusion topics in, in our field. And we've, we've talked to a couple of different people about it and, and had a couple of episodes surrounding it. So, but we want to keep that conversation going. I guess one question I would have first off is, you know, I'm, I'm now working with the ASPCA, a very large organization that, that focuses a lot of resources to, to DEI initiatives. It's a huge, part of their mission, which from from jobs I've had in veterinary medicine in the past, that's not something I'd seen previously. And it's really, really eye-opening and, and wonderful to see. From that kind of perspective as a veterinary professional, what kind of opportunities, maybe certification programs or educational components, what what can we as, as veterinary technicians or veterinary professionals do to kind of further our education in that or help move things forward? Well, there certainly is no shortage of opportunities, um, I think. But even before you jump into the opportunity, you have to have sort of a self-come-to-Jesus moment. You have to have that, that self-awareness that, you know what, this is an issue. And while it may not affect me on a day-to-day or, you know, an individual may not have um, may not experience components of it on a day-to-day, we all contribute to it because we all have implicit biases because we're humans. Everybody has them. No one's sort of, you know, immune from this. And so I think the first step is deciding that you personally are going to do something to contribute to it. And it, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a hunger strike or, you know, marching across the National Mall or anything like that. It could be the quiet decision that, you know what, I'm going to go learn about a group that I know nothing about or that I think I understand, or I'm going to learn some nuance of what it's like for members of underrepresented groups in veterinary medicine, or, you know what, I don't have any in, you know, as a heterosexual woman, I have no insights into what it's like to be a member of LGBTQ, so I'm going to go learn more. I think that's what's important in terms of the momentum of these programs. It's on such a a high trajectory, on such a fast trajectory. There are DEI certificates or certification programs and educational experiences that are offered at the academic level. So, you know, I'm enrolled in the Purdue DEI certificate. I say I'm perpetually enrolled because I started and haven't yet completed it. (laughs) So it's perpetually in progress. But Purdue is just one voice. Cornell has one. Ohio State University has one. And then even at the um, organized veterinary medicine level, AAVMC, the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges, as well as AVMA and some other organized veterinary medicine uh, organizations have those things. So the opportunities are there. You certainly would not have trouble finding one, but I think it first starts with that first decision to say, I need to step out of my comfort zone a little bit and learn something new. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, I mean, Jeff and I were talking about this very thing just before we started recording of, of these are 
uncomfortable conversations to have, but they're necessary. Yeah. They're, they're mm-hmm. things that we have to talk about uh, because otherwise, you know, you, you're, I don't want to say you're going to be ignorant, but you're, you're kind of shutting yourself off to that inclusion and shutting yourself off to things that could really make a change in your hospital or in, in your, in your life. And I, I, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we, we want to continue to have these conversations yeah. is to keep that conversation going, not just between us, but to our listeners as well to kind of have that conversation that maybe they're not comfortable having. Yeah, And I, I think that's, it's fantastic that we can continue to do this. It's important because, you know, alongside those DEI initiatives are also initiatives to change the demographics of the profession. You know, we right. are the mm-hmm. most homogenous profession. Well, second to, I don't know, whatever, but very, very, very high <laughs> homogenous. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there are pipeline initiatives in place to expose younger generations of underrepresented uh, people of underrepresented groups to veterinary medicine. And it's changing slowly the the demographics of the profession. So imagine you have the demographics slowly starting to change, but then a mindset that doesn't say, how do I interact with you in a way that's productive, that's respectful, that, you know, drives veterinary medicine forward. You have, they have to coexist. It's one thing to draw Mm -hmm. people to the profession. It's quite another thing to retain them in the profession. Right. Absolutely. And and I think that last point, you know, we, we've talked about, and, and Dave mentioned it briefly too, we, especially the last couple of years, we have been hemorrhaging mm-hmm. people from the profession. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's obviously some stuff to clean up there to keep veterinary technicians in the profession, but then also as we try to bring in other demographics into the profession, how can we also keep them? And we've said this previously, you know, where I'm at in Southern California and where Dave comes from in New England, regarding the homogeny of the profession, we come mm-hmm. from very homogenous parts of the country on top of that. Yeah. And it really wasn't until I got to, to work in academia at Tufts University that I, I saw even a modicum of, of diversity in, in veterinary mm-hmm. students and the technicians. And even though it was just a, a small percentage of, of each veterinary class, it was still eye-opening to me. And, and mm-hmm. but, but eye-opening in a way that, wow, one or two minorities or, or maybe five or six in this entire class of 100 stand out to me and that's a that's that's the problem is is that that small number stands out and and i again i hope that as we move forward this becomes more of a you know continues to gain momentum but it's it's and and, and you mentioned the the moment where you kind of start to realize you're either complicit in it or you kind of start to work on it a little bit And, and i think somewhere along the way that that's what did it for me was that here when i worked here uh where i live now in california i never really had very many minority coworkers at all, or even LGBTQ members. It was just this, this little niche of the, of the country, which is not terribly common. And once I got to Tufts and had a little bit more diversity really stood out to me that now I, I, I may never fully understand, but now I see why we need to start doing something about mm-hmm. this. Yeah, it's important. And representation matters. Um, you know, it stood out to you that there were one or two or four or five people in your in your class who did not rep, who didn't look like the majority and so your shock at that but now imagine what their experience is right, being a right. member of that group so exactly. there are all these there are all these common stressors that we experience as veterinary professionals right you know the burnout the compassion fatigue everything the financial component Every, no one gets away from that, everybody. But then on top of that, for members of underrepresented groups, there's a whole unique set of stressors that they experience. Right. You know, it can be, you look around and you're the only 
Asian person in your class. Mm -hmm. And so there are components of your experience that you feel you, you almost have to explain it to others. That gets exhausting. Right. I was one of two African-Americans in my vet tech program at the time I was there. The, the other woman was, she was younger than I was. I didn't experience the same stressor only because I was older. So I had a different perspective. It doesn't mean I didn't experience racism and microaggressions because I did. It's just the way that I processed them was different than it would be for someone who didn't have sort of the advantage of age and other experiences. But for that student who, you know, is attracted to the profession, who gets into their veterinary program or their vet tech program, they don't see themselves represented. In addition to this rigorous curriculum, they're now trying to navigate what it, what, you know, everything that comes with being underrepresented. It can, it can be the reason why a lot of people leave, you know, and it's yeah. unfortunate mm. because we, we want to, we want to attract more people. Right. Yeah. And I, I think back to Jeff, this was. I want to say it was last June that we had a conversation. I can't remember who who said this, but we not only have to be inclusive of the of underrepresented people, but we also have to make that environment that we're welcoming them into mm -hmm. be welcoming. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, you're a part of the team, but if the whole team is focused on just the the differences between between races, then it's it's you still haven't done your job you're still not mm. being welcoming you just it, it's all just face value of saying yes you're welcome but not actually making the environment welcoming right, right. it's show <laughs> me don't tell me you know yes and this yes, goes back yes. To, you know, changing that environment changing the culture of that environment it goes back to what i said before about sort of the personal decision that you're going to change that you're going to learn right because sometimes things fly off of our tongues and we don't we don't really think much about it, but on the person receiving that, <laughs> there's a whole lot of baggage in there. Yeah. And so it, it involves sort of a conscious decision to be more consciously aware. Yeah. Let's look at those certificate programs. How can a hospital kind of use that to their benefit? If, if somebody were to go through that DEA training, DEI training, not DEA training, <laughs> um, if somebody would were, were to go through that, how can they bring that back to the hospital? And how can we use that for, you know, an avenue to create positive change? You know, it's it to me. It's it's the same way as if you were to go to VMX or Western and you learn a new technique, and you you learn mm -hmm. it and you bring it back to share among your colleagues. Here's a new way for you know this this particular procedure. You know, we can try this. It's the exact same thing. It's not clinical mm -hmm. in nature, but it is educational. And then of course it has to be. I think the environment has to be ripe for that particular thing. Like, you know, you can lead all these horses to water, but you can't make them to drink. You can get right. every certificate <laughs> in the world. But if you're trying to teach this to an audience who doesn't want to hear it, you know, that that's that's where it, it, um, it everything stops. So I think starting to develop uh, an environment that's open and receptive to change is is fundamental. It, you know, you can learn, as I said, you can learn everything in the world and still not be able to find a receptive choir member right. in your practice. Right. So, and to some degree, I guess that the culture has to be there of, of being willing to change or willing to adopt this. Like it, there has to be between ownership, between management, what have you, there has to be a drive on their part to also implement these things. And if there's not, then I think the writing is on the wall and, and, you know, maybe you take your, your efforts elsewhere that might want to actually, you know, affect change. But like you said, otherwise, if, if you could have everything that you need, but if, if there, if there isn't that willingness to, to incorporate it, then that makes it pretty difficult. It does make it frustrating, but you can also be your own force, you hmm. know, so you can either choose to wait for them to be receptive, or you can say, 
I'm going to do this myself. And I'll lead by example. I will be the change that I want to see. I think it's a, it's a personal sort of tolerance level, like how much of that you can take. Because some people say, you know, I really am just casting pearls before swine right here. So um, <laughs> all, these, all these animal references. <laughs> I love it. I love I know, it. I love oh it. Oh my gosh, they're just flying out. So you can, you can choose to be that force yourself. But again, you know, recognizing is, is this changing things? Is it not changing things? And then making your decision from there. That, that change in the culture, is that, is that something you get taught in the, the DEI training or is that, yeah. is that beyond the scope of that? No, all the trainings that I've, I've partake, that I've partaken in, um, or was enrolled in, they give you the tools for opening the door. They, it's not just saying, hmm. you know, okay. here's how we deal with this and here's how we deal with this. And this is the best way to be an ally, that sort of thing. It's how do you start those, I heard this term, radic- radically, radically, no, radical candor conversations, right? It's how you, how you begin to open up those conversations. And uh, so they give you the tools to, you know, open, help, help draw other people towards this so that you, you find a more receptive audience. It's challenging work. But it's necessary work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, before we continue on, let's take a little break yep. here. We'll pay some bills and we'll be right back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at BetterHelp.com reviews. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right, we are back, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, where guac is not extra, but it's going to make your coffee taste terrible. <laughs> so, Garnetta, we just had a, um, an ad for BetterHelp, you know, dealing with mental health issues. As someone that's been in the field for for quite some time, have you ever experienced any mental health issues? And if so, how do you kind of manage your mental health? And are are there ways that you've found to, you know, Jeff and I always try to do this thing where we have a day where it's a non-vet day. Do you have something like that where Mm -hmm. you can get away from the field and and kind of just be in your own skin? Yeah. And and it took years to develop. It's a muscle. You know, we sometimes we find these little pithy techniques and tricks and whatnot and they work for about 30 seconds, but then you're back in the soup again. <laughs> but it took me years to learn. Our profession is so unique in that, you know, I don't know if accountants go around describing themselves as a financial professional, right? You're a person and you happen to be an accountant, right? You're not an accountant who's mm-hmm. a person. And so, but our profession, it becomes so all encompassing. You're a veterinary professional and everything that goes with that, no matter what shade, role, whatever you do in veterinary medicine, everything that goes with that. And so I had to unlearn that what I do is not who I am. 
And one of the challenges with that is our culture in the United States. You know, you go to a party, you don't know anybody and, you know, it's a small talk. So what do you do? They don't ask, like, what color is your car or how many dogs right. you have or what color are your socks? They want to know, what do you do? And then based upon that, there's a whole value system that goes with it. They're, you know, they're automatically thinking, oh, you're this. If you said, you know, you were, you know, I don't know, something, in, I'm a mafia member, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, they have a very different view of you than if you said, oh, I'm a veterinarian or a veterinary technician. But I am not what I do, right? If for some reason I couldn't be a veterinary technician, I still have to breathe, still have to live, still have to be a mom, a wife, you know, cat mom and everything. And so I have learned to separate who I am from what I do. So I, I, I call it checking in with my North Star, right? If, if something happened and absolutely could not be in veterinary medicine, what still matters to me? So every so often, I will just completely separate. I'll just, I won't look at, email. I won't look at Facebook. I won't look at any association stuff, nothing related to veterinary medicine to just sort of check back in with who I am to make sure that even in the midst of all this, this insane calendar and travel and everything else that's going on, that I'm still finding time to feed things that bring me joy into my life. So it may be, I'm a huge fan of, I love to bake, right? Uh, I told my husband, I'm like the best drug pusher, right? Because it's like, I, I don't get high off my own stash. I don't bake to eat. I just bake to bake and I give it away to other people. It's like, oh, I'm going to make you a cake today. You didn't ask for a cake, but I'm going to make you one anyway. So I, I, I will go and immerse myself in some really difficult baking technique, how to do sponge sugar or something like that, just so that I can check in with that. I'll call an old friend and who has absolutely nothing to do with veterinary medicine. It's about reconnecting with my North Star. And it took years to develop that. And it's really yeah. hard because, you know, we, we, this profession tends to be all encompassing. It is. And, and, you know, the, the longer you're in this or the more that you involve yourself in, like we talked about state association work, right? If you're involved mm-hmm. in your association or, you know, if you write lectures or you, you start to get the longer you're in it, you start to get involved in other projects and it's no longer that 40 hour a week job that you can, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously we always have that, you know, you work at work, but then so many of us have our own animals to take care of when we get home. And so there's that extra, but then the longer you're in it, the more you become involved in. And especially in this day and age, like you said, it's so hard to disconnect, but just telling yourself, I'm not reading I'm not checking email today. I'm not. And so that's, you know, I think to some degree what Dave and I do too, we, we put on our calendar, like we're taking a non-vet day. We, we don't Mm -hmm. do anything veterinary medicine related and whatever that might be for, for the two of us. But just like you're saying, check in with yourself and whatever it is that, that brings you joy outside of this profession, immerse yourself in it for some period of time to, to recalibrate. Yeah, it, that's so important because even before, you know, you get knee deep into, you know, 13, 14, 15 years into the profession, it was never a 40 hour a week job because you can walk out of that practice, <laughs> but you've taken home with you every patient you had, every mistake, yeah. everything you could have, should have, would have done differently, every conversation where you should have said something and you didn't. And so that consumes the remaining of your, your waking hours. It, it's all consuming. Yep. Yep. It's all consuming. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are other professions like that? Do you think that? I, you know, I, I, I would I, imagine that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I would imagine to some degree, maybe other medical professions are yeah. others. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think accountants take, take all that, those numbers home with them. I don't, I don't think they think of that all the time. <laughs> I just, I, I just envision like the people who take care of the sewage systems. 
you know, the public works people, I can't imagine they take that home with them. Mm-mm. You know, yeah. I, w- I would yeah, not. hope not. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so getting back to kind of our, our um, premise here of, of this episode, one one thing I, I want to know is is talking about some of, or having episodes focused on this on this podcast and, and working in the the organization that I do. To me, it seems like there's a lot of momentum surrounding diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. Maybe some of the larger corporations in veterinary medicine, which seem to only be increasing their footprint. They seem to be focusing on it or trying to at least bring it to the forefront more and more. But I'm curious, is that actually happening? Is it is does it seem like it things are improving as much as, as I perceive them to be? Is it actually gaining momentum or are we still grossly behind what might be happening in other professions or, or other segments of life? You know, I don't really have any insights into what other professions are doing, but I can say I can use my vantage point as an 18-year veterinary technician, I see things that are happening now that I wished were happening 18 years ago. Okay. Things that you don't really you 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 don't really recognize it in the beginning as there's something that's missing until you see it provided and go, wow, mm. I really could have benefited from that back then. I personally have been asked to participate in several pipeline initiatives. And I think, you know, back to, you know, being a little African-American girl growing up in Cleveland, I never saw another African-American vet until I was working as a technician in shelter medicine. So that's a very, you know, we're talking over 30 years, you know, a very, very, very long time. Some of the the, the initiatives towards representation, towards showing younger groups and younger individuals, pipeline individuals, if you will, the opportunities that are available in veterinary medicine, those are so incredibly valuable. And we probably won't see the payoff of that for a couple of generations. You know, you don't decide in high school, I'm going to be a vet. You decide when you're like six years old, you save a bird with a, a broken wing. <laughs> you know, when you bring in this hamster with, or this, this field mouse that you are now going to call a hamster so your mom lets you keep it in the house. <laughs> it's really a rat. <laughs> um, you know, you don't see, that's when you decide to be a vet. But if that's not supported, then that falls off. You know, and so um, do I see changes happening as a result? Absolutely. I see more representation in more circles now than I ever have, but there's still a lot more work to do. Some of it will see immediate payoffs and some, you know, will probably take 20 years to see, but they're still worth doing now. So they're taking off. They're valuable. They're paying off in different ways. And that's important. Can you give us an example? You said that, you know, something that that is popping up now that you could have used 18 years ago. Can you give an example of something like that, that that would have really benefited you 18 years ago? When I was talking about seeing other individuals who, who are, you mm. know, who, who look like you, that's important. Yeah. Um, representation matters because what's understood has, doesn't have to be explained. And so as a member of an underrepresented group, you know, again, I had the advantage of age and in, in life experience, but for that young African-American or Latina or Asian or gay or lesbian technician graduating and not seeing themselves represented or understood, it can be daunting. So to know there are affinity groups, there are, you know, resource groups that you can join, collect, you can join and have that collective support. That's really important. I never heard of Black DVM Network when I was younger. It may not have existed, Mm. um, but I never heard of affinity groups specifically for African-American veterinary professionals when I was younger. 
um, earlier in my career, I should say, that collective, you know, voice is really, really important because things will happen to you or you'll experience things that, again, other you try and explain it to individuals who are not of your same group and they don't quite get it. There's so many nuances and so many sort of unspoken uh, aspects to some of these experiences that, again, what's understood doesn't have to be explained. And that that's important. You know, we talk about all these ways to sort of mitigate the loss of members of underrepresented groups from our profession, that collective voice is one of them. That's that's a huge key in, in keeping people attracted to and staying in veterinary medicine. And and just thinking, you know, kind of with that example, if if we had uh, someone working in a in a, a practice that is part of an underrepresented group, say African Americans, mm-hmm. and they're experiencing being treated differently. Uh, what options are available to them? Like, are there resources that are available that they can go to? Absolutely. There are, there, as I said, you know, these groups, there's so many of them now that didn't exist back then. Um, affinity groups, so, you know, African-American or Black DVM Network or Plausibilities, Vet Med. There's so many multicultural VMA, um, so many um, organizations and groups that were sort of born out of the necessity, out of out of the mm-hmm. underrepresentation that now serve as a, a, a sounding board, as a place to get sound advice from people who may have experienced it or experienced similar things that you've experienced or who may have training in areas to help you navigate this. So there are a lot more resources available to help you. You don't have to figure it out on your own. And sometimes you just need a place, you just need a sounding board. Just to know, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I call it this mental jujitsu that you experience. Um, You know, someone will say something and then you literally will, it's almost like the cartoon where you see the the thought bubble come over your head. Like, did they really just say that? And what they mean by that? Did I understand that correctly? Mm. Meanwhile, while you're doing all this up here, life is happening. So you're literally pulling mental resources away from life in the presence to deal with what was said to you. And trying to understand if you really understood it the first, the, the way you thought you understood it. And then at the same time, not doubt your own intuition. It's exhausting. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah. to be able to say, you know, to, to belong to a group or to be able to, you know, go to a group and, and say, I, I need, I'd like your opinion on this. What do you think meant? Here's how I felt. What's your assessment of this? Is so relieving. It's gratifying because it helps you to get out of your own head. It helps you to get the perspective of others who may have experienced it themselves or, or may have a different perspective. And it really, really is helpful, especially when we're talking about mental well-being. Well, and not to go back to your your, your quote of uh, what is understood doesn't need to be explained. If you bring that to people who already understand, you don't have to yeah. explain. Exactly. Yeah. Which I, which I think is great. And I, I think the these resources that you mentioned, you'll have to send us the links for those so that we can, you know, post those in the show notes and post oh, it on sure. our social media so that we can yeah. give give some of our underrepresented caffeinators some some access to that. That would be fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, with with your current position uh with Zoetis and, and getting into veterinary schools and veterinary technician students and what have you, I think, you know, Dave and I have talked about so many facets to veterinary medicine where I think a lot of positive change or a lot of things that need to be fixed, the process needs to start while they're students. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when you, with, with your position, like what kind of actionable steps or what kind of recommendations or what kind of things can you help get to students that when they come out into practice, they can start to work on creating positive change in their work environment or or what can we recommend to practice owners or managers or or staff to 
kind of help make this a better or more inclusive work environment? Well, I think, you know, the veterinary student and the vet tech student of today has access to far more resources than even 20 years ago, yeah. maybe even 10 years ago. And students are great at grassroots, right? So I look at some of the organizations that students have created um, in the in the face of underrepresentation or in the face of being able to to help bring about a profession that's more reflective of the society that we serve. And so they don't need to be taught. They, I mean, they, they're, they're doing it themselves. I look at some of these, you know, student, um, the voice uh, or the national voice, I should say national voice and the work that they're doing at all their chapters to bring visibility to this at, on a, on a campus wide uh, basis is, is great with the practice owners. Again, you know, I, that's, that's sort of a really hard question to answer because, you know, they're not a homogenous group. Some practice owners are, you know, they're, they're choir members to this, you know, and some are, you know, we've done it this way for 30 years and this is how it's always worked and that sort of thing. Again, a practice is not just one individual. It's not just the veterinarian and technician. It really is sort of a culture shift and it doesn't have to come from the top. It doesn't have to come from, you know, it can come from anyone. Yeah. A little bit of leavening can impact the entire, the entire mix. That's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you're, you're absolutely right. It can come from, from anybody. Anybody can be that example. Anybody can be that leader. Mm-hmm. Well, just thinking about school, you know, my recent stint as a teacher, I don't remember that there was any kind of like diversity training or, or anything like that in the tech school. And maybe it was an intro to veterinary technology, which I, I never taught. So getting that from like the from day one mm-hmm. is understanding that you have to work as a team and you have to be inclusive and in all these things. I, I feel like I don't know if that's going to require a, a change to the programs or if it's going to require just adding a section to to one of those classes to to kind of get this information out. I think I don't I don't really have any any say anymore in the in the education realm, but I, I feel like that's something that's definitely needed. Yeah. Yeah. In in the technician world, yeah. there there's so many resources that are aimed at the colleges of veterinary medicine, the veterinary student, and. You know, there are, oh gosh, like eight times as many vet tech programs, seven, eight times as many vet tech programs as there are colleges of veterinary medicine in the United States and far more students enrolled in vet tech programs than in veterinary programs. The challenge with the vet tech side, and I agree 100% with your point, it is something that needs to be integrated. Much the same way as, you know, the Committee on Vet Tech Education Activities, when they develop the essential skills list for vet tech programs, there are things that are in the essential that are no longer in the essential skills list that used to be in, right? So we change yeah, with the yeah. times, we change with the technology, we change mm-hmm. with the advancements in veterinary medicine. And this is no different. But one of the challenges is I firmly believe that, you know, two years is not enough to teach what we have to learn, right? On average, right. you know, the, the majority of, of that tech programs are two years in duration, some are four. And so we, they are in essence tasked with teaching, which is probably, what is probably three years worth of material in two years. And so, and then they're also constrained in some situations by their state departments of education in terms of how many credits they can ascribe to an associate's degree. And so if Mm -hmm. AVMA is saying you got to teach this, 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 and this, and the state says, oh, we're only going to give you 70 hours to teach that or 70, you know, um, 72, 72, yeah, exactly to teach that it becomes a challenge, but Teaching and incorporating um, cultural competencies isn't something that you sort of teach in intro level. You, you may introduce an intro level, but it's something that really should filter through every single element of the program. Mm. When we talk about communications, 
right? You know, we, as again, I talked about how we all have these implicit biases. So a client comes into your practice and they look disheveled and their dog may, the coat may be a little ragged and dull and he looks like he lives outside and, you know, you kind of take a peek out and you see that they have a beat up old truck out there or whatever. You know, what medical plan are you going to ascribe to that customer? based upon the physical thing, the visual things that you take in. So we're automatically assuming this guy can't afford it. So why would we give him top of the line, you know, a medical treatment plan that we know he can't afford? He could be a Rockefeller. You don't Mm -hmm. know that, right? Right. (laughs) So teaching things like drawing cultural competency skills into client communications, into interactions with other team members, that's something that really should have be threaded through the entire curriculum. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, too, that that person, that that dog may be his whole world and he wants to spend every dime he has on on making that dog better. Like we, we we cannot judge that person and like you said, prescribe them a treatment plan without even offering them. God, give them the ocean. If they just take a little bit of yep. it, so yeah. be it. But we yeah. can't not offer it to them just because of our assumptions. And we have to check ourselves too, because you make that assumption and then you have to check yourself and say, wait a minute. Right. Right. You know, yeah. just wait a minute. And, and, wait a and, minute. and maybe for some people, that's the moment where they have that, okay, now I realize I have these implicit biases and and I okay maybe I need to work on that. Mm-hmm. I know we're we're kind of approaching our hour here, so I'm just wondering: is there anything we haven't touched on regarding DEI and inclusivity and practices? Anything that we haven't brought up yet that you would like to focus on, or you would like to get out to our caffeinators? It's just you know you can't do it all in an hour. And so yeah, to your true. question, is there anything you haven't touched on? There's like a million There's, things you I haven't know, touched right? on. <laughs> but this would be a six-year podcast if you did right. that. You know? But I, I mean, we'd, we'd be happy yeah. with that. <laughs> we, we would love to continue pick, this, this conversation. <laughs> it's like I got to pick my daughter up from school in three hours, so that's not yeah. going to happen. Um, <laughs> I just think that I just challenge everyone, you know, and it doesn't, it's not limited just to your professional realm, but just in how you navigate in the, in society, challenge yourself, you know, challenge your assumptions. And, you know, in doing so that, that starts to impact everything around you. That starts to impact the way you interact with people. It starts to interact or impact, you you know, the way you go to market with your colleagues, with your with your customers, with your clients, that sort of thing. It's not something that's going to be solved by one person. It's not something that's going to be solved in one year or 10 years or whatever. But as long as we're constantly iterating towards a better engagement with our fellow humans, I think that we're on the right path. So again, not limited to veterinary medicine because the way you talk to a grocery clerk is a mm-hmm. reflection of what you feel just as much as it is what you, how you speak to your colleagues I just think that we have to continue to human better. Ah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, Love it. absolutely. And now that now that we've come to the end of this episode, and I'm we're happy to have you on yeah. again in a future episode. But uh, just again, shout out to to Harold for bringing mm-hmm. you to us. And now we'll turn it to you. Who would you like to see in your seat? Okay, so I, I oh boy, I, <laughs> I wonder if I should have texted her before this to let her know. But one of the things that I love seeing among veterinary technicians are technicians who are doing things outside of the box, who are mm-hmm. in non-traditional roles. So do we. I love small animal medicine, but I love hearing about technicians who found 
a square who, who, you know, they created a peg to fit who they are. They created a peg hole to fit who they are. So this individual is in research in Maryland. She is, she is, she's insanely smart. She's witty as all get up. And I just, I just love her persona. Her name is Nikki Castagna. She's probably going to kill me. We've yeah, already had her on. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> I was like, re- I was, was like, researching Maryland. Is yeah. that Nikki? Nikki? Okay. Oh my gosh! You guys are really putting me on the spot now because when I saw this, I thought Nikki. That's who I want. Yeah, yeah. No, she, she was great. Yeah, she was it great. Was wonderful conversation. Oh gosh! So now I have to come up with a new person. I know a lot of people too. I agree. I, I'd have to. I mean, think you don't. You don't that. absolutely have to yeah, have an answer. Yeah, you can okay. let us know later. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let me get back to you on that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because yeah. uh, Nikki was a great. Uh, she was a great guest, and that was a great, great mm-hmm. response. So, yeah, you, yeah. If, if you think of somebody else, you can definitely send their their information our way. Absolutely. Oh, you know what? I know someone who I think would be really good. She's in industry. Okay. She actually was a former colleague of mine at Zoetis, and she moved on to a new position. Her name is Erica Emmett. She's a licensed veterinary technician in Virginia. Okay. She's in the Virginia Beach area. And she's had quite an interesting background. She's lived in China. She's worked mm. in academia. She's worked in industry, small animal medicine. Really, really dynamic background. A okay. fun personality. And she's smart as she's smart. She's really awesome. smart. Awesome. Smart okay. Well. Yeah, send us send us yeah. your contact yeah, info. If you don't we'll mind and yeah. Because we're we're always looking for, you know, to increase our international series if for someone that's worked in China. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear how that yeah, goes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That would be great. Absolutely. Share that. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, and now we are down to the hardest part of your interview, <laughs> your would you rather question. So I didn't. You ready for yes. it? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I was worried about this, but I'm excited at the same time. So have it. Okay. Now, I, I realize you haven't really been in clinical practice for a while. So these, these are kind of related to clinical practice, but I bet you can go back into the recesses of your mind mm-hmm. and come up with an answer for this. So would you rather... Have every blood draw patient that you have have perfect veins, but they never sit still. Or a patient that sits perfectly still, but they've got fat veins that you can't hit. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know what? I would prefer that I have perfect blood draws on animals who don't sit still. Mm, okay. Because that means I'm a ninja technician. Mm-hmm. Ah. It's like I will chase you across the room, but I'll get that blood. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that that's the that's the more challenging, the more exciting. And there's far better stories that are gonna come out of that than if every single yeah. patient just kind of sat there like a lump on a log. That's that's in my mind that that patient is a six month old German short hair <laughs> Yes. I thought you were gonna say a chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, but those those GSPs with those perfect veins that will not I, sit still. I, I, oh, yeah. I had in my mind, but well, I guess maybe not with perfect veins, but I had in my mind a husky that was screaming and bouncing all over the place and mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. what have you. But yeah, I that's a that's a great way to look at it because I was thinking more along the lines of a patient that sits still but has terrible veins that that you are the one person that can hit it but mm. that doesn't make for yeah. very good stories because it's no. just no, it, it doesn't. you're you're absolutely right it just it you're you're just telling that this pet had terrible veins and you got it but i think you, your perspective no is yeah exactly i think your yeah. perspective is is much better. Well, I think when the, the patient is really squirmy like that, it's a whole team yeah. effort, not just yes. a yes. effort. And that's that is true. how I came. That's the story behind how I came to learn that I'm allergic to Sharpays. 
right? Oh, they really? Are, oh, you get that? Like the their their pokey little fur oh, that gosh. yeah makes you break out. They're hideous. Yeah. I mean, no no offense to Sharpe owners, but for me personally, next to Chihuahuas is probably my least favorite breed. But I uh, <laughs> we had this dog in for blood draw and then uh, a nail trim. And it was during the blood draw that the things that the dog just just lost its mind. We're getting a blood, not a problem. Um, mm-hmm. But then afterwards, with five technicians on top of this animal getting the nails trimmed, and we all stand up and we're like, "There's blood on the floor. There's urine over here. Our scrubs are ruined." And I'm hives just hives. out of every yeah. pore that touched <laughs> this animal. Hives. And so, yeah, that's my how I came to learn I'm allergic to Sharpays, blood draws yeah. and nail trims. But you got the sample, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When I was a young baby tech, we, uh, the general practice that I worked with, um, we had a woman that did Sharpay rescue. Ooh. So I saw Ooh. two or three Sharpays a week, uh, most of them for entropion surgeries. Mm-hmm. But I, I attribute my blood draw skills to those Sharpays because... I mean, trying to hit those edematous back leg oh, veins yeah. on on a on a weekly basis mm. just just made me good oh, at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But again, I don't, I don't. When they come in, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can already. Like, I, w- I almost wish I was allergic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that fractious cat for two hundred, Alex. Yes, yeah. yes, please. Yeah, right? Yes, please. Yes, please. Well, Garnetta, thank you so much for your time today and and for having this discussion with us. We really, really appreciate your time and and bringing some of these ideas to light. If you have any, you know, specific again websites or or books or links that you want to us to to link into the show notes just send those over to us we absolutely will or or programs we'll link the some of the college programs that you mentioned for you know our colleagues to look into a little bit deeper but again thank you so much for your time we really really appreciate it absolutely thank you so much for having me and thank you for like continuing the conversation it you know it it i think it's a conversation that needs to happen in as many avenues and vehicles and and channels as possible so thank you for incorporating this in the vet tech cafe pod series podcast thank you thank you well we will continue to do that as much as absolutely well caffeinators thanks for uh for stopping by and having a cup of coffee with us today be well um and we'll talk to you guys again soon bye guys Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators, we would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, 
Have yourself a great day.